installment of the SUAS News podcast series where we interview newsmakers and discuss news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host, Patrick Egan. Let's say a big hello and welcome to our co-host, Gene Robinson. Hello out there, Patrick on the left coast. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing good, but actually, uh, today's show is live from not-so-sunny, but very cold, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Ah, uh, that's correct. <laughs> it's cold out here visiting the Raven Aerostar people. And uh, they, they have a nice facility, went out there, checked that out. Um, but yes, it's cold, and when the wind kicks up, that adds a whole new dimension to the um to the, the weather and me missing California. But I'm going back today. <laughs> I think it might be warmer in at Ice Station Zebra than here. But that's just a guess. Anyway, so we've got uh, we've got some news on the page today. I also noticed uh you know I get all my intel from the USA today. And it looks like in Aspen, Colorado, they're talking about uh, giving an exemption to helicopter drone operators to do uh, real estate and movie producing. Uh, maybe ah. give them an exemption and let them fly, which is kind of interesting because I thought uh, the FAA was going to make those decisions. But anyway, I'll have to look more into that story. I just caught that at breakfast. What about you, Gene? You catch anything? Well, it's not that I caught anything, but I'm being caught up in things. Uh, it looks like I've gotten a last-minute call to go out to attend the AFCEA show out there in San Diego. So uh, I will be jetting out that way on Sunday to uh, to participate out there. Um, not so much from a, a vendor standpoint, but an SME. So I will be out there uh, talking UA stuff and regulatory stuff. So that should be pretty interesting. That was uh, a very late breaking development for me as of last night. So there's where I will be for the first part of next week. Well, that sounds good. Anything back on the the safety team thing? No, you know, I haven't heard anything from them. It said that uh, it was going to be a 10-month program, so it, uh, potentially they could be lining out who's going to be there and, and who's going to participate in it. Uh, I would certainly hope that's the case. I've uh, sent my email acceptance, and uh, I haven't heard anything back from them. So we'll have to just wait and see what goes with that. All right. Well, you know, keep us posted. Okay. Well, today's show is uh, commercial UAS operations in the NAS, and we have two guests, and uh, so we'd better get to it. And I want to bring on our, our first guest, and that is Mr. Uh, Gus Calderon, and he has, um, as you may have linked to the story or not on the front page of the SUS News, uh, he has applied for an exemption and has a notice in the Federal Register. So what I think we will do without further well, without further ado is maybe, uh, Gus, you could please introduce yourself to the audience with a little bio, how you got involved with uh, small unmanned aircraft systems, and then kind of, um, you know, just just how you, kind of how you got here, if you could do that for us, please. Sure, Patrick, and first, thank you and Gene for inviting me to be on the show. Um, I began building and flying remote control airplanes back in the 1970s, and that's really what sparked my interest in aviation. So I eventually pursued a career 
in professional aviation, became a commercial pilot in the 1990s. Since I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit, I decided to decided to start my own air charter company. So I applied to the FAA at my local FISDO for an air carrier certificate. Now, at the time, many pilots told me it would be too difficult or even impossible to get that certification, but I persevered nonetheless. After at least six months of writing manuals and working back and forth with the FAA, passing check rides, having my aircraft uh, examined by aviation safety inspectors, I was actually granted certification to conduct commercial passenger carrying operations. I worked very closely with the FAA for years, and this was an invaluable learning experience. After 911, many things changed. Uh, the cost of obtaining aircraft insurance for this type of operation really skyrocketed. As we know, fuel prices skyrocketed as well. And for other reasons, I had to discontinue that business. And since one of my hobbies and passions was always photography, I, I pursued taking aerial photos uh, for real estate brokers, developers, even large auction houses like Sotheby's. Actually, did did pretty well for a while. As the cost of fuel and operating an aircraft continued to climb, I really got back to the basics. So I began attaching digital cameras to remote control aircraft and realized the enormous potential of small UAS with the advent of these new electric motors, batteries, and flight control systems. So I recently formed a company, Isis Copter, and we've continued to do research and development on small UAS. And, and with the new developments in, in technology, uh, really excited about what the what the future holds for this field. Mm. Yeah, well, that's uh, you know, again, it's funny. So you you were talking about this uh, this history that you have with this technology, and it sounds a lot like the history that I had with this technology, except I wasn't running an air charter, but the RC part of it. And um, I'm, I'm, I was feeling all the same stuff, thinking all the same stuff. Um, you know, we talk about it uh, being kind of an old timer in this field that, uh, you know, it just had this RC plane with a camera on it. And then all of a sudden that this thing was turning into a UAV at the time. I really got a kick out of that. How did, how did you feel about that when you heard about <laughs> the potential regulation and that these RC aircraft were turning into uh, UAVs? Well, honestly, I I was a little disappointed, um, and and um, you know, a, a, as a commercial pilot for a long time, I I, uh, I all, always intentionally follow the FAA regulations. Uh, this this regulation in particular, I respectfully disagree with, um, but I I have to follow it nonetheless, um, which is why I I discontinued to do the research and development side, and and decided decided to pursue. You know, developing an airframe in, instead because I had a feeling uh, that it was going to be a while until this got sorted out. But I, I'm very pleased that there there are advocates out there, gentlemen like you, uh, raising awareness of this issue. And it, it appears that there you know, there's some progress in in this in this field now, and and that does bring me some hope. Well, yeah, I appreciate that, and I I, I feel <clears throat> hopeful too. It's a, a guarded optimism. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do think uh, that it's taken a long time. I agree with you. I try and um, follow the policy. 
I've stated for a long time, a lot of people have been kind of like, oh, well, I, you know, I don't care. It doesn't affect me. I am I'm not listening to this. Yada, 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 mm-hmm. which I think is kind of a, a mistake because in the future, you know, even if you're going to do this as a hobby or whatever, I mean, it's not an enjoyable hobby to be looking over your shoulder, one. And two, I don't want to do a business where I'm operating outside of federal law. You know what I'm saying? That's me. I'm kooky that way. Well, no, no. I, I respect that. I feel exactly the same way. I, I have turned down countless, countless aerial photography and cinematography jobs, um, some with very big-name companies, Paramount Studios, other companies making documentaries, and that's been really difficult uh, to do. But I was always raised, you know, to, to do the right thing, and and hopefully in the long run that will that will pay off. Well, that remains to be seen. But I'm just going to continue on this path um, and see what happens. Yeah, well, the Gus, real high. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, sir. Sorry, Patrick. I was just going to say, Gus, since since you've gone through the process of uh, uh, getting the year 135 operator and uh, have to go through the regulations and stuff to that, in your opinion. What do you think would be an appropriate sort of – we, we all agree that there's going to be some regulation, but what would you think would be an appropriate start to a regulation for the small operators like us running forward up to 10-pound aircraft? Well, um, from from what I've read, uh, and, and again, I don't know how much of this is going to, going to come to, to fruition, but I have heard – that um, it may be possible that the, the regulations will be based on um, small UAS regs that have been developed in other countries like like Australia, um, where where it you know, and I do have a feeling also from what I've read throughout the regulations that the FAA is probably going to want um, uh, an FAA commer- uh, maybe not commercial pilot but at least certified pilot to to be pilot in command of small UAS. I have a feeling. Uh, because, or, or at a minimum, to have gone through ground school so that they understand the airspace. Uh, I, I do know that what I do know for a fact is that some of the FAA's concerns, and they don't want any conflict with other aircraft. So I think it's going to be important for small UAS operators to, to understand airspace. Um, and, and I personally don't see any problems with with aircraft underneath that uh, weight restrict. I personally don't think there, there even should be that many requirements because so many people are flying uh, recreational uh, right now with with even larger and faster aircraft at higher altitudes. Uh, I just I just don't see any any need honestly for for much regulation in, in, with these very light small UAS personally. Yeah, and you know that uh, touches on another point that I'd like to talk about. And the other one is is being a law-abiding person, and then watching the thousands of people fly all the time for profit, and there be no ramifications for that. I don't know if that chapped your head, guess, but it sure uh, chapped mine. Well, it's it's not only you know definitely a major concern, but it's also affected my aerial photography business. I I know it has. I know of many, many operators in the area here in Southern California that are, and they're not just doing it, you know, kind of, you know, as a low profile. They're putting up websites. They're advertising. uh, I mean, they're they're blatantly doing this, and and they are well aware. I've I've spoken to quite a few of them just to ask them if they are aware. I'm curious. Whatever anybody does is their own business. I, you know, and sure they know. And what I hear most of the time is, "Hey, a man's got to got to make a living." 
and uh, you know that so that's yeah. their choice, and and that's that's what a lot of guys are doing. There are some who don't understand uh, what they're doing, but most of them do. Most of them by now are aware that that it is a violation of you know the FAA docket published uh, back in uh, 2007. Right. I uh, I agree with that. I mean, there's a company that's got a storefront in San Francisco. <laughs> you know. Wow. And uh, you know that's all fine and dandy. You're right. I mean, I have people call me and they, they you know, especially uh, through the years, and they say, yeah, you know, could you uh, maybe define this a little bit better for me? You know, but if I stop doing this, I can't pay my mortgage. I can't feed my family. I'm not going to tell you not to feed your family. You could call those. Uh, people in Washington and have them tell you that you can lose your house and feed your family or, you know, whatever. That's not my bag. Anyway, um, so I want to, because we've already clicked off about 15 minutes here, so let's uh, let's get back on track. And one of them, the track, the main reason that we have you on here today is we've noticed that you filed for an exemption and it's in the register. Someone had mentioned this to me, um, although it was really of no value to me because I'm not running a business or trying to run an aerial photography business uh, for some of the reasons that we talked about. I feel that if I were to, I mean, they, my business is already gone. My investment and all of that, my time and money and the tens of thousands that I spent on that is done. And if I was going to do this again, I would have to start from scratch and I have all this competition. So I'm in a, a, an economic disadvantage seems like you've kind of stayed more into it. So what does this mean to you? What is what does this exemption mean to you? Well, for, first and, and foremost, um it's it's bringing attention to to the matter. Um and and the fact that it was published in, it didn't mean much honestly until it got published in the in the federal register last week. And 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 really what it means more than anything uh to to really everyone in in our small industry uh, and I'll read actually the, the, the second line of, of the uh, the summary notice in the Federal Register states the purpose of this notice is to improve the public's awareness of and the participation in this aspect of FAA's regulatory activities. Now, to my knowledge, Patrick, and you, you follow this way more closely than I do. I don't know if there's been an opportunity in the past for anyone, you know, in the small UAS industry or UAS industry to comment publicly to directly to the FAA about commercial operations in national airspace. Is is that true or or has there been an opportunity in the past? No, there hasn't. And I would say that the I, I think the February 13, 2007 document was more of an edict. And I still contend that the T's were not crossed and the I's were not dotted and that they had changed policy arbitrarily. And that would have been a, a perfect opportunity for them to publish something in the registry. But uh, that's not how it went down. So, yes, this is, to, to the best of my knowledge, this is the first time. So in my opinion, that that's really very, very important. Whatever comes out of this exemption, you know, may not mean that much. It, it may get denied. They may come back, I'm hoping, with, with some guidance on, on the next step to do. And, and that's just to briefly get back to it, to when I applied for my air carrier certificate, it was a back and forth. I sent in an application, basically a letter of a statement, of a letter of intent, what I wanted to do, and they said, okay, you need to do X, Y, and Z. I did X, Y, and Z. I submitted it to them. They said, okay, you also need to do A, B, and Z. And I did that. And it was back and forth. The way that this was described to me, it's a similar process. And I'm hoping that other people have, have followed 
suit and, and are also doing this as well. So at least the FAA knows that there are people that want to do this. I think it's important that they know that, that this is really, really important. This is affecting businesses. This is affecting people's lives. People want to follow the regulations. So that, that's one of the main reasons why I did that, to let them know, you know, a legitimate airman, a commercial airman, uh, you know, who was an, had held an air carrier certificate, wants to do this. And, and that's, so that's why, why I did this and why I'm continuing to pursue this. Right. Well, you know, I, I think they know that people want to do this because, I mean, the phone's been ringing off down there for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who knows all of the gridlock? And our second guest, we're, we're going to talk about some of the other stuff because he's, he's, uh, he, he's involved in some of these processes. And we'll, we'll talk more about what's kind of the official channels going on. Um, but, you know, let me. I'd like to ask you. You know, when uh, we're thinking about this exemption, and it is up on the SUS News uh, home webpage, the, uh, and and the title of that is uh, Commercial UAS Ops in the NAS. You can go there. You can look at the the registry document. There were supposed to be more documents that you're looking for an exemption from. It's kind of a read ahead for people listening to the podcast, and I'm sure it'll be up there. You could go look at it. What type of small unmanned aircraft system are you using? Maybe you could tell us uh, what type it is, uh, and then also uh, an all-up weight. So that we can of, of what you're looking for uh, an exemption to do. Sure. Well, I actually have a number of small unmanned aircraft systems that I use for a variety of different research and testing purposes. I have, you know, from as small as a small styrofoam uh, aircraft that weighs two pounds that I put, you know, fixed wing. Uh, but primarily I'm building and designing my own multi-copters right now that are uh, designed specifically to carry um, high-end uh, cameras for the film industry. They use very specific cameras up there. They don't use you know, camcorders or, or GoPros or any of that kind of thing. And so they need a larger platform uh, to, to carry these, these cameras, which have a separate recording deck because they record in RAW and, and record a tremendous amount of data. And so I've been working closely up with a company up in Los Angeles that develops these. They're called POV, point-of-view cameras. So I've basically developed a multi-copter platform around their, their cameras that they have and that they're developing, the IndyCam, for example, and the Silicon Images SI2K. So that's, that's what I've been doing. My, the platform is also capable of carrying many other uh, cameras as well because it's larger and, and, and very rigid and, and very stable. It's uh, 1.4 meters motor-to-motor span. So it, it's, it's a pretty good size aircraft. We keep the weight down using uh, aircraft aluminum, uh, center frame, carbon fiber tube. So that's, that's what I'm primarily working on right now. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and, and then I guess a follow-up question to that would be, was this, uh, suggested to you, or did you dream this up? <laughs> I wish I had that kind of imagination, but honestly, um, I was told this directly from an FAA representative of the UAS Integration Office in Washington, D.C. Mm. Um, I so this this is not secondhand information. Uh, in fact, uh, I met several members of the UAS Integration Office uh, at the AUVSI conference in Las Vegas uh, back in back in August. They did attend that that show, and uh, I was exhibiting there along with another company. And I went to talk to them, and I introduced myself. I said I'm a commercial pilot. I, I have well, obtained my own 135 certification, and um, 
honestly, a couple of the members kind of put their head down. And, oh boy, this guy's you know not going to go away easily. And then one of them, one of, one of the one of the reps, actually, you know, came up to me and said, "Hi, I'm from the FAA, and I'm here to help you." Did you not? I, I laughed, and it really broke the ice. And and we we talked for a while, and I was told by this representative that they at that show they were announcing a new procedure for people to apply for this petition for exemption, and it was previously not available. This is what I was told, and it was to be available now. And they had even printed up some special business cards with an email address, and I was told just to send an email to that address, and you would receive a response on how to get started with your petition for exemption. Mm. So that's that's how this this all began. So I, and I was told if if you do it rapidly, you know there may be a lot of people who do this, so you might want to get started right away. So 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 I did, um, and I did receive the email. And uh, just want to read a quick line from you. It says, "We on one of them it says we want to be upfront petitioning, you know, for exemption. These are not easily granted. You may go through the whole process and and not receive receive an exemption." One other thing that I found was interesting uh, in that first response is uh, commercial UAS operations will also need to have a current and qualified FAA licensed pilot with appropriate ratings. So that that does probably limit a lot of the exemptions that they would accept or find appropriate uh, or to have merit. I believe uh, they, if it gets to the point of being publisher, published in the register, it has to have a certain amount of merit. So I, I think my having a commercial license and being current is probably what helped my petition along to get to the point where it is and being published in, in the National Register. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, that's uh, interesting information. I think we'll probably follow up on that. I do think, you know, we you had uh, talked about, uh, you know, knowing airspace and whatever else. And I think we'll talk a little bit uh, to uh, Mr. Jewell about this here in the, in the next segment. But, you know, it, if uh, – I might be jumping again. And, Jim, you could jump in here. But if this uh, – the regulations come out and we're talking, you know, 400 feet and 1500 feet laterally. I, I do not agree, uh, especially for aircraft that are frangible and under four pounds. I do not think that a, uh, a pilot's license is something that's warranted. I, I think personally, and this is my slant on the deal, the envelope is too limited. Uh, and it's not like I'm flying point to point from airport to airport. It's easy to it's easy to get on the the interweb these days and look at where you're going to fly, especially in such a limited area. I, I really feel that that's a, it's a double standard, and I feel that way too because of the LSA thing, where you can just have a driver's license and, and fly something that could uh, potentially kill people too. But anybody have any 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 feelings on that that they'd like to discuss? I, I think we can all agree on that that one, Patrick, because uh, the small guys staying in close, uh, you know, are doing essentially the same thing as the recreational modeler. Uh, I, I think Gus does make a good point, though, that uh, the FAA are looking for credentialed people. They are looking for people that, that have gone through the processes that they are familiar with, and I think that's probably the most important aspect of it. Anyone else? I agree with you, Patrick, and Gene as well. I mean, you have so many recreational modelers uh, flying right now. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar. There's a, there's a RC model flying field just south of Van Nuys Airport here in Southern California, and I was Amazing. there a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and, 
And it was unbelievable. Guys flying turbine jets, you know, almost 200 miles an hour. And, and meanwhile, aircraft are flying literally just a couple hundred feet above that. And, and there's no conflict. You know, they, yeah, they, everybody's working harmoniously, flying, having fun together. Um, I don't see any problem. Isn't that the Sepulveda Basin, right? Yes, that that is the one. Yeah, Apollo 11 field. Yeah, it's incredible to go there and watch. I mean, it's yeah, here it's, it's a it's a total menagerie. But isn't that that's in uh, uh, Class Bravo airspace? Is it not? I believe it's in Bravo, and it's also in Delta for Van Nuys. I mean, it's in a very, very busy area. I mean, there literally DC-3s flying overhead, Gulf Streams, Cessna 152s, and you've got hundreds and hundreds of modelers flying below. And I, I, as far as I know, there hasn't been any conflict. People were flying all day long. Everybody got along because, like you said, Patrick, we're flying pretty low altitudes. I mean, 400 might even be a high for a lot of people doing just simple photography. I'm, I'm below the treetops almost all the time when I'm just – you know, flying for fun or recreationally, uh, I'm really not above 50 to 100 AGL, and and that's not going to cause. And I know this as as a pilot and professional pilot, that's not going to cause conflict with with aircraft. It's, mm-hmm. it's simply not. Yeah, so, well, <clears throat> yeah, and and I think you know a lot of this stuff is self evident too. It's the same thing with the 400 feet, 1500 feet laterally. I mean. You know, even the, the the class two medical thing, I think, is ridiculous. I mean, uh, you know, it's such a short space. And and even in this example here of the Sepulveda Basin, I mean, they've been flying down there for a long time. There hasn't been any conflict. Um, I do agree. You know, there's got to be some rules. I think we're all on the same page with that. But I, I really, that's ridiculous uh, as far as I'm concerned. And the uh, airspace deconfliction, as far as being able to see people. Uh, you know, obviously, I think we could see better than uh, people in, you know, 172s, but, you know, it's an argument for another day. I noticed how Jim didn't jump in here, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll give him his chance here in a minute. Anyway, um, is there, I guess, you know, wrapping this up before we move into the other segment, and you're welcome to stay on board because there might be something you want to comment on. Um, is there anything the listeners can do to help your effort, sir. Well, yeah, I think they could help all of our effort if if they go to regulations.gov and they they could make a public comment um, on this notice and and let the FAA know how how they feel about commercial operations in national airspace. All they need to do is go to that website and they reference the the docket number, which is uh, FAA dash twenty twelve dash zero eight nine seven and that'll immediately bring you up to a page where the docket is and the documents and there's a comment link and go ahead and, and make a comment there. You have to it's necessary to reference the docket number in your actual comment so that it gets listed in the same place and we can all view each other's public comments. But I think as this and, and if other exemptions come up, which I hope they do, I, I will do my best to to, to comment positively um, I think that's what we can do right now. We only have until February 4th to comment on my exemption. There may be others, like I said, coming up. I don't know, uh, but I hope that there are. Um, and if any of these get accepted, they, it would set a precedent, and that could affect rules down the road. So I think it's it's good for all of us to get involved if we can and, and make a comment whenever possible. All right. Well, um, I think that that's a... Uh that's something that we should do as a community. We should um, jump on board. Uh, this is a chance to put your, I guess, your your frustration where your mouth is and write something uh, and, and put it in there and support your own industry. <clears throat> and I think that's a good thing. And uh, I look forward to seeing how this 
this uh, pans out, and I'm glad that somebody took the initiative and did this. So we'll stay we'll stay tuned with that story, and, and you know you'll have to update us. We'll probably have you back on when you find out what happens either way. Sounds good. Thank you, Patrick. All right. Well, and <clears throat> all interesting stuff. You got something that a listener at home can do. Uh, you have you have an avenue to 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 do something. So um, in segment two here, <clears throat> I want to bring on our second guest, Mr. James Jewell. Jim, are you out there? Hi, Patrick. I'm here. Yep. Okay. I know Jim for a long time. A uh, few years now, uh, Jim was on one of the work groups for the small unmanned aircraft systems arc that the FAA stood up in 2008. He's been around for a while. He's been working this issue. You were doing some stuff with ASTM. And I, I, I don't want to speak for you with the stuff that you were uh, let's say involved with because I've I've seen you around a lot of different stuff. So what I would like you to do, uh, Jim, if possible, is you to introduce yourself to the audience again, a little bio, uh, what you've been up to, how you got here. Okay. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me to participate. Uh, I'm a, a scientist businessman. I'm on my third career in UAS. <laughs> I started out. Uh, getting a couple of master's degrees, one in organic chemistry and another as an MBA in marketing. Spent the first 10 years in uh, chemistry as a sci- working scientist and in pharmaceutical research management. And uh, then I, I transitioned into uh, uh, technology management, technology marketing with a company on Long Island, Paul Corp. And I was the vice president of new market development for them. And in 1992, I went out on my own as a consultant and spent several years consulting for the software industry. And uh, throughout, I have been an advocate and participant in model aviation and uh, would build and fly large-scale models. And it occurred to me, uh, around the, the turn of the century that these military drones could have immense impact uh, for commercial operations. So I went through a learning curve, which I posted online, in essence. That's what UAVM.com is. It was an information resource or intended to be an information resource for the industry so that uh, Newcomers, newbies wouldn't have to uh, replicate my my learning curve, and uh, that website now has over 7,000 page loads, averaging about 2,500 a, a week, and I haven't added anything to it in about five years. So I've been a, a consultant now for the past seven years, uh, consulted for the Coast Guard, Lockheed, Eltree. I'm currently working with the California UAS portal and Archive Engineering with their all-weather sensing void system. Interesting. So, are you doing any? Um, are you are you still doing any work with uh, any of the standards groups, um, or or have you uh, moved away from that because you're busy with other things? Uh, I've act. I left an active role. role uh with uh with ASTM 
As you know, I was vice chairman of F-38 for two years and membership secretary for four years. But uh, I, I sort of phased out of that. I still keep my hand in with SC-203, both uh, WG-2, the command and control work group, and uh, particularly uh, WG-3 headed up by Andy Zeitlin, the uh, sense and avoid work group. Uh, that when I when I you know, first came in, I just assumed I was going to you know uh, start making money with commercial UAS, and unbeknownst to me, the FAA had no intent of having small UASs flying anywhere in the NAS. So that's how I became involved with the standards group. I, I felt we had to provide a, a technical foundation to make a safety case for these uh, systems. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's kind of, uh, you know, uh, doing this podcast and, and, you know, me and Gene have been doing this since May. Uh, the common thread, a lot of the points that you're making are a common thread for most of the people in this community. Uh, there are a lot of people that uh, saw that what this technology could do, especially with the electric uh, revolution, as I call it, um, and what's possible. And, you know, there, there's been, I would definitely say there's been a little bit of a void with the technical expertise and the empirical knowledge. Uh, well, you... there, there, was a, there was a divergence. Uh, most of the FAA's long-range standards work was being conducted by SE-203. However, they were looking at, you know, predator-sized, uh, mm -hmm. global-hawk-sized airframes. And it's always been my view that uh, the small UAS has perhaps 90% of the capability for commercial applications than any, any large airframe can, can carry. So, uh, and that has been addressed more or less by F-38. And in support of the FAA's FAR 107, which has still not yet <clears throat> come out uh, for NPRM, uh, but that is intended to allow small UAS, as you know, to fly under 55 pounds under <clears throat> uh, some un un unknown level, uh, flight level. Uh, we're still waiting to hear what the FAA has in mind. And no, <clears throat> no one can cite that. They've been very secretive about it. So when the NPRM comes out, we'll all know what they have in mind. Yes, uh, you, you're touching on a few points, and one of them is that that document is very very uh, secret as far as only a select few have seen it. Um, I think that they know it is going to be a, um, something that is, is going to be controversial. Well, um, the, the recommendations that you guys put together on first arc, uh, once it became uh, fodder for internal review, uh, I, I doubt if many of them made it through the cut. Uh, right. You know, the, the, the recommendation was to have a simple web-based uh, or web-mediated operating certificate granted. And uh, the small airplane director decided well, they weren't going to give up their turf, so it mm -hmm. wasn't going to be web-based and, and on and on. So I, I'd be interested to see what they do come out with. Yeah, me too. I mean, I have to be... Uh... I have to be honest, even the recommendation that was put out, I wasn't happy with that. There were people inside spiking that thing. Uh, I didn't really understand 
all of the the nuances of what was going on in the arc while it was going on. But, uh, you know, it came to light after, um, you know, th- there was there were different forces at play inside the arc and the people that were on that arc. There were so many people on that arc that shouldn't have been on that arc because they had no idea how these systems operated. They were, you know, uh, let's say manned aviation people. And all they knew is you're not doing this, you're not doing that. It, it didn't seem like an open process. Economic vested interests. Exactly. Now, the new arc that's going on, I have problems with that for the same reasons, if you look at the people on there. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, we got Snidely Whiplash on there and he's, he's, he's uh, you know, totally trying to cut us out of the picture, but there's nobody on that arc that's looking out for the small business guy. And I've no. talked to other people just recently who still are espousing that the vendor, the DOD vendor, is really looking out for the small commercial guy and wants everyone in the NAS. You know, I, I'm flabbergasted to still hear anyone espouse that notion because that is not the case uh, at all from, from what I've seen. And they've invested millions of dollars to uh, secure themselves a position in the NAS and in, in this uh, in, in this upcoming regulation. And that's fine. It's business. I understand that. But I don't think it's a level playing field. Um you know, as far as no. I'm concerned. And I don't in, see... In the... furtherance... Excuse go me. ahead, sir. No, go ahead. Well, in, in furtherance to making the safety case, the, the Congress uh, directed the FAA through the Federal Aviation Administration Modernization and Reform Act of 2012 to, among other things, set up six test sites. Mm-hmm. They were to have been selected, operational at the first of 2013, and uh, that is on hold now because of privacy issues, Mm -hmm. which the FAA is not in their charter directed to resolve. I think we can agree that privacy is a topic that's probably not going to be resolved in my lifetime, so... Why can't we start making the safety case by flying in these six sites? Well, you know, I think a lot of this stuff is diversionary myself because, uh, you know, there's already laws on the books for privacy. Um, You know, we've gone round and round on this issue. Uh, I think we, as 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 a community, really missed the boat earlier on. Um, you know, someone I had heard some other scuttlebutt that even with the FAA and the test site thing, you know, well, we're we're going to resolve some of these lawsuits. Well, you know, I mean, how long is that going to take? Why are we dealing with that? that? Why it, are we? Go ahead. I'm sorry. It, it's illusory. If you want to have a good understanding of how this came about, I direct you to the Brookings Institution's uh, monograph by Wells Bennett. You just go to brookings.edu and uh, search Drones Bennett. And he has uh, uh, an issue in governance studies uh, which very clearly documents how poorly the law was written and uh, the dates that were uh, entrenched were uh, questionable, a big, big jumbled timetable. Uh, there were there were no uh, teeth in the law. There was nothing in the law that 
that would uh, uh, there's no f- formal compliance mechanism. Are you no talking? Are you talking? This. Are you talking about the uh, congressional mandates for the FAA yes. for integrate? Oh, yes. That you know, I got to tell you that one too. I, I you know, you can't. Uh, it, it's hard for me to get on here and spill the beans, but I will. I'm going to tell the community right now that that language. Is if you go back in there and read that, it's kind of hard to, to discern. But a lot of that language was put in there by vendors. Okay, I saw the language prior to it uh, going to uh, or becoming HR six five eight, and I had noticed that there were big holes in that. The stuff that was going to be submitted, I said, you get you know you got holes in here. You got holes that the FAA can drive a truck through. It's I equate it to telling a teenager, because I have a teenager, to go clean his room or do some other task without any direction or any consequences for not doing the said task. Uh, that's what yep. we have there. I had well, also, if you want to understand that, I, w- I would direct you to that uh, Brookings study. It's it's very uh, clear, uh, detailed, and uh, even even reading it. You end up confused, but it's it's a, it's a good history. Well, and and I yeah, and I uh, I thank you for the link. I think people should get over there and eyeball that. But I will say that uh, you know that this effort to me has been one that's been based on uh, business plans of DoD vendors, and it's and it's definitely a reason why things are slow. I agree with you too. Everybody. You know, it's like you get a, one step forward with the smalls, and then you go, okay, well, we've done so much on that now. We'll toss that over to the side, and we're back to the uh, business plan for Global Hawk. You know, but if you if you'll notice, nothing has gotten done. Exactly, because I agree. You know, if we're going to fly Global Hawks around, yes, you you know, all the sense and avoid and the commercial pilot's license and all that. Yes, yes, violent agreement. You need all of that for the Global Hawk. Well, we we got way off topic. <laughs> We did Unfortunately, get I, I wanted I wanted to convey some information about next gen ADSB. Uh, I don't think we have too much time left, but uh, next gen is the FAA's architecture for the future. Uh, instead of using radio, uh, radars, uh, which have become way too expensive. To maintain, the FAA is turning to a GPS augmented ADSB system. Right. Uh, among its other virtues, it has great potential to resolve the uh, issues about uh, sense and avoid. Uh, and also, in, in, in one of its implementations, could actually uh, assist us in, in resolving the privacy issues. Mm-hmm. But it is coming, and I, I would suggest that everyone become more knowledgeable about ADSB and the wide area augmentation system, which allows GPS to be precise down to about three, meter, three meters. Uh, it's a it's it's a, a step that we are going to take. It's the ADSB is the core architecture of next gen. And it's going to impact our industry in a significant way. Uh, I think uh, that's going to be another good show for us, Patrick. I think we need to have Jim back on there because he's right. And that's the way we're all going to be flying because it's technology that's available to us down to the smallest guy. 
Well, you know, two things on that, uh, Jim, and if this is possible in the future. Um, maybe we could do another show about ADSB because I do believe uh, there's a lot of promise there, but there were some issues, uh, and, and maybe those have been resolved. So we'd like to talk about that. The other thing that I'd like to talk about, and maybe you could facilitate this, is uh, possibly having someone on from the RTCA SC203 and give us an update on the work that they've been doing. you think that's possible, sir? Yeah, I think it's possible. Uh, they they tend to shy away from publicity about where they stand, but I can talk to Andy uh, Zeitlin and uh, uh, for for sense and avoid. Uh, All right. Well, the command and control is uh, uh, is probably well. I, I yes. Yes. Okay. Is, well, we're down to about three seconds, so we have to say our goodbyes, but we'll talk to you again in the future. Thanks, uh, Mr. Calderon, and thank you, Mr. Jewell. Gene, we'll see you next week. Stay warm, Thanks. Patrick. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks, Patrick.